on Sunday Night Live around the campfire. Once again, it's a very good evening to Samantha, the Bush Tucker woman. Good evening, Greg. How are you tonight? Well, it's uh, another great night when uh, we can have a yarn to you about... Um, tonight is not going to be specifically around Bush Tucker. You've built a, a reputation, basically, a, a lifetime, in fact, dedicated to Bush Tucker. But there's more to the Bush Tucker woman than Bush Tucker. So what I want to find out is what is else is there. So yeah. let's, let, let's, let, let's dig in there and, uh, and have a look at some of the things that you're passionate about in your journey. Oh, Greg, yeah, look, that's a great intro and that's definitely a big question to try and answer in such, such a short time around the campfire here we're talking. But you know what? There is a lot more to the Bush Tucker woman than meets the eye. I think what my story entails is a lot of hardship as a young girl growing up, a lot of simplicity about me and my life, but also a lot of um, passion as well. But I guess for me, there's a lot of things that I can say, you know, I, I, I give a lot of love to my culture because I, I feel like I have a responsibility and obligation to my culture. But first and foremost, I have a lot of obligation to my people, you know. So in saying that, to wrap it up, it's all about health and well-being. I've gone through a lot of um, hardship with my health, going from being bulimia um, at a very young age, um, then to becoming quite overweight, very unhealthy, um, suffering with mental health as well and, and depression and not knowing what that represents and what that means. Um, but having a lot of people that um, have passed away through suicide around me, a lot of my very close family and friends committing suicide and then, you know, not being able to complete that as a, as a journey. That's a heck of a lot of stuff to uh, to deal with. I mean, sometimes we get one or two things, but you got, you mentioned uh, probably half a dozen things in uh, in one hit there. So um, you just dealt with them one at a time. Yeah. Look, it's it's well, I don't know, Greg, because at one stage I was grieving um, the loss of my brother who was murdered about four years ago. Yeah. And then meeting my father for the first time when I was thirty seven and seeing him on his deathbed. And he died um, five months after I met him. Still wasn't allowed to go to the funeral because I'm still a secret child, I guess. So, um, and then having to um, deal with the loss of my partner walking out of me. Um, it just kept going and going. I I've lost my godson um, um, a week after I buried my brother. Um, I was watching him over my brother's grave, standing there crying for his uncle and then thinking to myself wow the last time I saw him was in he was four years old and I thought to myself I better say hello and and make sure I catch up with him before I go back to Cairns and then we made arrangements to meet up and that afternoon I got a call from his father saying you better get to the hospital straight away your godson has committed suicide and I raced from out being out bush all day straight to the hospital and I was above his body hugging him, telling him to wake up 
while his body was still warm and they pulled him off the ropes basically. So, you know, there's a lot that I had to deal with and it just all came down at me really hard and really fast all at once and I was left alone and I had no family in Cairns, came back here. I was very unwell. The doctor had told me that they wanted to cut my foot off because it just wasn't getting better. It just kept filling with fluid. Um, so I had got all these tests done and found out I was un- had undiagnosed diabetes. I thought I was quite okay with my health, but I was um, 20 to 30 kilos overweight. So I was a size 26. I'd gone from a size 12 to a size 26 to 28 within those three years of basic grieving and and I thought no things have got to change and I just went into this dark hole of depression and wanted to commit suicide yeah that's a, that was my next question yeah. uh, you must have been terribly close at the edge of uh, suicide what was there any one specific thing that had, that brought you back from the edge oh Greg this is I guess this is still very raw for me like I feel like there's a bit of bubbling of energy coming in through me now like yeah, I could yeah. easily break out in tears right yeah. now but you know that's the rawness of you know what happened was um, I was basically the day I decided to take my life it was a lead up to it and I thought today's going to be the day and you know what was the strangest thing and a lot of people don't know this about me like people look at me as if my life is perfect and as if I live this grand beautiful fun loving life you know because that's how I portray my life and it is a majority and, of the time and you do and I do but yeah. I do also wear my heart on this on my sleeve as yeah. well so yeah. if I'm hurting or I'm depressed, or I'm upset, I will tell people. And I'm not afraid to anymore because I know bottling your emotions and your energy just doesn't help. So for those eight months, I was ready to basically top myself, throw myself off my balcony with a rope around my head, basically. And then one particular turning point for me and going to your question is the person that I thought of was my mother. And... The fact that she's just still rawly grieving over her son who was murdered and now she's going to grieve her her baby daughter. And I thought that's really unfair. So that kind of stopped me. Great. There's always something. There's always someone to think about that uh, you're, uh, you're going to leave worse off with, with, with your leaving. So if we have... People that are listening in cities um, tonight and have um, been that close—that's one thing to remember about the, you know, what what you may leave behind, and uh, that probably doesn't get spoken about enough when it comes to this very touchy subject. What what you've done after that, though, Sam, is you managed to get your life um, uh, back on track. You've been. Uh, and still are uh, a role model for um, other people. Uh, and they say, look, uh, I'd like to live my, my life like that. But uh, one of the things along the way that I, um, I've learned from you, in fact, uh, just today, is something uh, called the Wall of Barriers. Can you give us a bit more background on that? Yeah. When I was a campus manager up at Mossman Gorge Training Centre um, about seven years ago, I had the opportunity to 
be a part of a lot of young kids' lives that came from all over Cape York um, to train with us for 20 weeks. And part of that whole training was that they were doing a Cert 3 in hospitality. I introduced a lot of life skill training as well because I thought they go hand in hand and we had to prepare these young kids that are coming from such remote communities how to basically live in the modern world, um, in mainstream especially, to hold down training, hold down um, a job, how to take responsibility for a lot of their own actions but also you know communication presentation plays a big part in becoming successful in the work um, environment um, and they don't get taught that in their homes or communities and or very rarely so I thought that was a great opportunity to do that but one of my programs that I created was um, a program called the wall our walls of barriers and that meant we could identify what our barriers are um, and on a whiteboard, I would put up brick by brick what was our community, first of all, barriers, what do our communities have to deal with, and then leading on to that, brick by brick, we basically had to figure out what, our, what are our 10 um, barriers within ourselves coming from um, community. So then I got each person, each student to have a look at those barriers. How do we work through that? Give them tools on how to see those sort of barriers differently. But it, it changes their psychological as well. Once you see up on the wall, it makes people realize that we do deal with a lot. We don't, and, and we can handle it once we see it. It's like being diagnosed with something. You don't know what you're treating until it's diagnosed. So I could see the light bulb moments in people's, in my students' eyes going, oh my goodness, like that's a lot that we have to deal with. But then when you say, well, each of these problems or issues or barriers, can we have a solution? And it's a matter of how do you deal with that? How do you choose to deal with that? Do you want to rise above it or do you want to stay a victim to it? And so I gave them the opportunity to address each of those 10. But then I went from 10 to 5 and then 5 to 2. And then basically have a look at their last two. What, why, what are these two things holding you back and why? And you know what was really funny is that majority of the time, Greg, a lot of the time they'll, they'll always stay and write. And, you know, we think and we could look at families as being amazing but also they could be an absolute hindrance as well because you look at it and I said to my students okay going from my own experience you know my family some of my family only became my family when it was payday during the week I never hear from them but come payday they're your best friends they're your best cousins they're your best sister brother you know and it was like that obligation that you whatever they asked for you had to give it to them to the point it, it became like just the norm and none of them paid me back and it was like am I working for them or or what? What, what what what's the point of working if I can't have money for myself at the end of the day to pay rent or, or buy food you know so then I, I taught myself how to say no and I had to teach myself that it's okay to say no so I'm here in front of these students saying, you know, our families are great and sometimes we have the obligation to our family, but sometimes we don't. And especially if these families are going to go and buy grog or whatever they do with it, you know, it's not our business, but it is our business if it's money that we are spending um, time earning. So these students realize 
that they had a, had a different way of looking at that and approaching it. And then I turned around and said, well, okay, sometimes families are great. They will encourage us. But a lot of the time people in families want to pull us down too. It's that blackfella crab syndrome, you know, that mentality like, ah, they think they're better than us, you know, yeah. Eh, you, you snobby, you, you know, they, that kind of way of thinking and acting and behaving. And it's like, well, we'll just stay here just so that we have, we fit into our family or we're not trying to outdo our family or outgrow our family. So sometimes that's also a big hindrance in our family situation as well. And it's, a, it's an interesting way that, you know, people don't realise we just, we just live by it. And it's not part of our culture. It has never been. You know, it's, it should be something that we should be encouraging each other to grow and be, a, be bigger than, you know, ourselves and grow with each other rather than pulling each other down. Samantha, this is a conversation that can go on, uh, uh, on, on and on and um, we can build on this one. Mm. Um, but I just uh, first up wanted to uh, look at the other side of the Bush Tucker woman and, uh, and uh, create that platform where we can talk some more on a similar subject uh, a little bit further down the track. So thanks once again for being a part of uh, Sunday Night Live around the uh, campfire. The only thing, you've got to put another uh, another bit of wood on the fire before you go. <laughs> Not a problem. Always pleasure. <laughs>